Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to episode number 11 of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell. We crossed into double digits last week, and now we're at the double exclamation points, the double ones, the double hockey sticks, episode number 11. And boy, is it going to be a good one. We've got some great topics lined up for you guys today. I'm happy to be here back in front of the microphone, as always, on a Monday, but I'm doing it in the evening, just crossed into 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Is it Eastern Standard Time? Is it Eastern Daylight? I don't know. It's Eastern, Eastern Time Zone. Just crossed over to 7 p.m. Normally, I record this show in the late morning or just about lunchtime, but had some exciting meetings going on, some behind-the-scenes stuff that I hope to be able to share with you guys very soon. Uh, let's just say if it goes through, then it's going to be a pretty big deal for me and for you guys. But in the meantime, this show is going to be a meantime for all of us because there's some great stuff going on in the world of sports. It's just an awesome time to be a sports fan. Unfortunately, we're starting to creep into the time where it's not so great, but we're holding on to it while we still can. And one of the things we're holding on to, they just fell into our hands, is a party in the play-in, the NBA play-in tournament is here and boy am i excited if you guys are longtime listeners of the show then you will know that the nba is my favorite league basketball is my favorite sport to watch to analyze and to cover and most especially to talk about on this show so we're going to start off obviously with the play and we know some of the other playoff matchups we can project and forecast the rest that still have to be decided by the results of the play in but we're going to leave that for the next episode of the show when all of that is 100% crystal clear. And we're just going to talk about these play-in games. Now, if you guys don't know, the NBA instituted the play-in tournament a couple of years ago. You have the seven and the eight seeds play each other. The winner of that moves on into the playoff bracket as the seven seed. The loser plays the winner of the 9-10 game, and the winner of that game moves into the playoffs as the eight seed. So the loser of the 9-10 and then the loser of the 7-8 that loses to the 9-10 winner, those guys are out. Made that way more complicated than I need to. But the first play-in game that we're going to talk about, now it is the later of the two games in the in uh, Tuesday's play-in games, but it's the more exciting one. It's the one that more people are going to talk about. It's the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, Minnesota will be without two of their regular starters. One, Rudy Gobert, who punched Kyle Anderson in the chest during the team's final regular season game and has been suspended, isn't even traveling with the team to Los Angeles for the game. And Jaden McDaniels, who punched a wall in frustration in that same last game of the season and fractured his hand. Reports are that he could be out for numerous, numerous months, but we all know that he's not going to have a recovery from a broken hand in two days. So he is out Tuesday night against the Lakers. Two massive blows for this team on paper. On paper. Now, I don't think it's going to be quite as impactful as people are making it out to be. And I want to start with Rudy Gobert, who I've long said is potentially the most overrated NBA player in the history of basketball. Certainly, I think he is the most overrated player in the league right now. And this is not a personal attack of Rudy Gobert. I just think that he's not that good. I think his rebounding numbers that are so great really have no influence on winning games. I think he's a three-time defensive player of the year who can't really defend. Yeah, he gets some he gets good block numbers and he can he can 
hold off opposing bigs when they're trying to back him down, but he can't really seem to do a whole lot else other than that. I don't think his health de help defense is that good. I think the Jazz got away with it because they funneled everything to him, and especially the guards, so he had a severe size advantage. It's kind of like what the Bucks do with Brooke Lopez, although Brooke Lopez, I think, is more effective in that role. Um, his, his perimeter defense is just non-existent. He was a liability in the fourth quarter in Utah and has been in Minnesota, which means they can't play a three-time defensive player of the year when they need to get stops more than any other time in the game. And we know he's terrible on offense. Yes, he's efficient, but that's all layups. That's all dunks. And it's not like a, it's not like a DeAndre Ayton who you don't have to draw plays for him and he's going to give you 17 to 20 points a game. This is a guy who's giving you 12, 13, but it, it's not that mid-range efficiency. It's not the soft touch around the rim. Again, it's just cleaning up loose balls and I just don't think he has much of an impact on winning games. And the numbers will show you that this season. In 70 games with the Minnesota Timberwolves, in his first season in Minnesota, obviously, he's a minus seven. This is a guy who traded five players and four first-round picks for, and he's a minus seven in 70 games for a playoff team. It's not like the team is terrible. It's not like this is the Houston Rockets or the San Antonio Spurs. No offense to those teams or fans of those teams. But this is a good team, and they were playing better when Rudy Gobert wasn't in the lineup. And they were playing pretty well when Carl Anthony Towns was in there. They showed that they have spunk and that they can get stuff done. Now, the team isn't drastically outperforming that when he's not on the court. But over in those 12 games and the 70 games where he hasn't been on the court, there are plus four without him. So statistically speaking, the team is less likely to win on a possession-to-possession -possession basis than when they have Rudy Gobert on the floor. So I think that just speaks volumes. Um, so that his his impact might be somewhat negligible, but where I do think it's going to give a big advantage to the Los Angeles Lakers is that not with Anthony Davis. I don't think AD is necessarily going to shine in this game, and I don't think he's going to be bad, but I have more faith in LeBron James. And the reason for that is those driving lanes are going to be open. I know I said Gobert isn't that great of a defender in my eyes. Certainly, certainly not a three-time defensive player of the year when you look at historically who all the defensive players of the year winners are. But he does clog up the lane. He is long. LeBron loves to drive the ball. It's it's kind of hard to make layups when you've got a seven-foot-two guy with long arms standing in the paint there. So I think that's going to make a big difference. And then Jaden McDaniels also. McDaniels isn't an all-star by any stretch, but he's a good player for these Timberwolves and he's given LeBron a bit of trouble in their careers against each other. Now that sample size is only seven games, but this season, the Timberwolves and the Lakers split the series one-to-one. -one, and in those seven games against McDaniels, LeBron is averaging 23.3 points. That's, that's well under what he's averaging this season, last season and for his career. So two, two big blows from an analytical standpoint, when you look at it like that, um, I already said they split the season series already. Uh, the rebounding is also going to be open for Anthony Davis. That's where I think he's going to shine. I wrote an article talking about the best player props for this game earlier. And I saw that you could get Anthony Davis at over 13 and a half for plus 102. Now, again, I'm saying I'm recording this late Monday night. You guys might be hearing this Tuesday. So those odds could have changed by now or the line might have changed as a matter of fact. Um, but AD's been AD's been absolutely killing it on the boards. Anthony Davis might be the best rebounder in basketball right now. And we don't talk about that when we talk about him because we know he has self-admittedly said he hates playing the center position. But uh, last month, the average was at 14.4. In the last three months, he's averaged 12-something 
12.2, I want to say, 13.6, and 14.4 rebounds per game. He's at 12.5 per game on the season. The last time they played the Timberwolves, he gathered 17. Now, he only had five in the game before that, but again, Gobert's going to be gone. You've got all these advantages. McDaniels isn't playing, which means another bench player is going to be in the lineup. Bench players filling in for starters usually means more missed shots, which means more rebounds for Anthony Davis. I think this is going to be not a walk in the park, but a comfortable 11 to 12 point victory for the Lakers who are at home in this game. The other playing game on Tuesday, the Miami Heat versus the Atlanta Hawks. Simply put, Trey Young cannot score the basketball when he plays the Miami Heat. He's averaging 23 points on 40% shooting in regular season games against the Heat. I believe it's 17 regular season games. He also averaged just 15 and a half points on 32% field goal shooting in a gentleman's sweep in the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs last season against the same Miami Heat team. Now, there are also rumors going around that the Hawks front office okayed a trade of Trey Young. So when the offseason comes, they might be looking to move him. I don't know if Trey's seen those rumors, and maybe he's the type of player to use those as motivation because, to his credit, he has stepped up in critical moments. We all think about that series against the New York Knicks where they were shouting F Trey Young and still do to this day, by the way. Knicks fans, you got to let that go. It's in the past. You're a better team than the Hawks now. You don't need to stoop to that level. But, again, last playoffs, he wasn't good. This is his career worst shooting year from the field and from three. If you take out his rookie year, that's four other years. I just don't have a lot of faith in this team, to be completely honest. Um, and I don't I don't also have as much faith as other media members seem to do in the Heat. A lot of people are saying the Heat are just about the scariest seventh seed that you could ever face, and the Boston Celtics should be terrified in the first round. Do I think the Heat are going to roll over? No, I absolutely don't. And I think that they have Jimmy Butler, who significantly raises his play in the postseason. And we saw how good this Heat team can be when it really wants to win, like when it went on the road to beat the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Tyler Hero, also statistically one of the top 10 most clutch players in the league. He wasn't even nominated for Clutch Player of the Year voting, but the statistics show that he's been that guy. But with all that being said, Everybody's talking about this turnaround that the Heat have made. They're ready for the postseason. Guys, they're 21st in net rating since the All-Star break. In this great defense, guess what? They're 22nd in defensive rating again since the All-Star break. I think they're going to beat the Hawks because they can get to Trey Young, but I don't think their long-term prospects are that good. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Celtics beat them in five or six close games, but not a seven-game series. The Chicago Bulls versus the Toronto Raptors. We're getting into the Wednesday games. Now, this, I believe, is going to be a bit of a snooze fest. I don't really care. I think whichever team wins is going to lose in the next round. Um, yeah, I, I really just don't think much of either of these teams. And actually, they would have to beat the, uh, the Hawks. There's no guarantee they're going to do that either. Neither team is going to do anything in the playoffs, like I just said. The Bulls are 14-9 and since the All-Star break, and they're third in net rating since that since that timeline. So got to give credit where credit is due. Patrick Beverly was pretty awful on the Lakers, but he's made a good impact on the Bulls. Um, people are saying Alex Caruso is the best perimeter defender in the NBA. Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, they can get it cooking in an instant. Nikola Vucevic has been having some great games lately, but I just don't see them putting anything together for the long run. Fred Van Vliet is having a career down here shooting the ball. He's going to need to score to match Levine and DeRozan. He's got some explosion to his game, but I think the safe bet is going to be the Bulls to win that game. And then the Thunder versus the Pelicans. This is going to be a very fun matchup between a couple of young teams who have had good years. Now, the Pelicans were the number one seed in the West at some point. And no, I don't mean one game into the season. I mean a few weeks, months into that season. Zion goes out. 
everything falls apart leading up to the All-Star break. And coming out of the All-Star break, sure, they're only right around 500, but they are looking really good as of late. They've won nine out of their last 12, and they are number one in the league in three-point percentage during that same stretch. They're shooting 42.2% from beyond the arc. They're also third in defensive rating since the All-Star break. So that's something to keep an eye on. I think that defensive rating, I know the Oklahoma City Thunder have the best scorer in this game, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's on my All-NBA team selections, by the way. And I know the Thunder hustles super hard. I know that they're a good team. I would love to see the Thunder move on and have a chance to play themselves into the playoffs because I do think they are a resilient group, and I really like the spirit they have about them. Excited to see what they do with Chet Holmgren next year, who, by the way, looks like he's been putting on some muscle. But I think the Pelicans are going to win this game, and I think they're going to move on to play the Timberwolves in the play-in. And with all the problems that the Timberwolves have, you know, Gobert is going to be coming back, but in this matchup against the Pelicans where they have Jonas Valanciunas to match up with him. And again, look at Gobert's net rating, minus seven in 70 games, team is plus four without him. I think that the Pelicans are going to win that game. I think the harder matchup for them is the Thunder. So if they beat the Thunder, they beat the Timberwolves. And I also think the Thunder would beat the Timberwolves if they managed to beat the Pelicans. So I've got the Timberwolves missing the playoffs, the Lakers getting the seventh seed in the West, and then the Pelicans getting the eighth seed. But if they don't get it, the Thunder get it. In the East, I have the Miami Heat getting the seventh seed. And I will say the Chicago Bulls get the eighth seed, which matches them up for a first-round matchup against the Milwaukee Bucks, which they have absolutely no hope of winning. That's what I think of these NBA playoffs so far. Do I think any teams of those play-in teams can make a run? Obviously, my pick is the Los Angeles Lakers because some people are saying the Lakers are the favorite in the West. And I can't remember if I said that on the last show. If I did, I've updated it. I think the Suns are the favorite. But the Lakers are my second in line. I think the Lakers are a scarier prospect for opposing teams than the Golden State Warriors, who are 2-20 and 20 on the road against teams 500 or better. I think they're scarier than the Denver Nuggets, who can't play defense. Mike Malone has been calling out for months that I will sign anybody who can play defense. Um, the, the, who else is there? The Sacramento Kings, very good team, very underrated team. I think they could easily go seven with the Warriors. They might even win that series. They're the better team on paper. I'm holding out for the Warriors simply because of their experience and Sacramento's inexperience haven't made the playoffs in 16 years. But would I say the Lakers are more of a favorite to win the title than the Kings? I would. The Clippers, maybe, maybe you could have made the case otherwise, but they're most likely going to lose to the Suns in the first round. So yeah, I'm taking the Lakers here and looking ahead. One team, you'll notice I didn't mention the Memphis Grizzlies. I was, and still am high on the Grizzlies as the franchise, but as currently constructed, I think they could be in for a bit of trouble with the Lakers to be completely honest. And some of this has to do with injuries. Steven Adams, not going to be back with his, his knee injury. Brandon Clark, torn Achilles, he's not going to play at all. Even if they make the finals, he's not coming back, which puts so much of the onus on Jaron Jackson Jr. on defense. On defense, And he's been great this year. He might win Defensive Player of the Year. He's been shooting and scoring the ball really well in the last couple of months. He stepped up to the plate, especially when John Morant was out. But he averages four and a half fouls per game in the playoffs, and he's just a very reckless player in the regular season as well. He commits a ton of fouls. That was always the criticism on him when he was at Michigan State, and it didn't really change coming into the NBA. And what do the Lakers do better than any team in the NBA? They get to the free throw line. And not only that, they don't foul opposing teams. 
So Jackson might want to go straight back at Anthony Davis or LeBron James or the newly signed Tristan Thompson if he gets on the court, Muhammad Bamba, whoever it is. Whoever he goes back at, he's probably not going to get fouled. That's also going to keep him out of his rhythm. I think Lakers are going to dominate the interior in that series, and it's going to come down pretty much to can John Morant put these huge explosive scoring outings back to back to back to back. Now, he scored 26 in the third quarter of the last game they played against the Lakers, so he can, uh, he can do it. He can do it. Not saying he's not capable. He's just going to have to do it. He's going to have to do it multiple times. But that would be the one team that I would say coming out of the play-in that has a chance to make a deep run in these playoffs, potentially to the championship. But that does it for the party and the play-in. We're going to talk about a couple of individuals, and we'll start off with the NBA before we move over to the gridiron. You can probably guess who we're talking about there. But Rudy Gobert, again, the Minnesota Timberwolves gave a ring. They called up the Utah Jazz and said, hey, we have five players and four first-round picks that we're not particularly interested in. How about you guys? And they said, you know what? We would absolutely love to take them off your hands. Why don't you take this three-time defensive player of the year who clearly easily averages a double-double in the prime of his career? No, you guys can have him. We want nothing to do with him. How's that working out for you, Timberwolves? Again, you're the eight seed. You're in the play-in. And it's not like a Lakers team that I was just praising who completely changed their fortunes. Best record in the Western Conference since the trade deadline. Uh-uh. Timberwolves have been just about 500 pretty much all year. They've been worse with Gobert on the court than they have with him off of it. And now he's punching teammates. Now, I don't know if the reported conversations between Kyle Anderson and Rudy Gobert are true. I'm not one to doubt Woj, but I wasn't there, so I can't 100% say it's true. But if what Woj reported is accurate, then if I'm Gobert, I absolutely have a problem. I mean, you can't you can't say those things to me as a man. I've got no problem with it getting confrontational. But to punch a teammate in full view of everyone on TV, it, it, it's first of all, it's just a terrible look. Second of all, it invalidates the decision to bring you over because you were already on thin ice. And now you're going to be suspended for a best of one to get into the playoffs. And third of all, you, now you can't even travel with the team. Where's the camaraderie? His statement he released, his apology on social media, it wasn't that great. And apparently he apologized in the team group chat. I don't know if he sat down with Kyle Anderson and hashed it out with him or he sat down with the coach or he talked to the other star players on the team, Towns and, and Edwards. But it's just it, it's just proving to be a worse and worse decision every day, every passing day that goes by. I I, I just could I couldn't believe that they made that trade run happen. And looking back at it, I still can't look, ima imagine it because it just gets worse and worse. The Baltimore Ravens get a boost with Lamar Jackson. This is what I was talking about when I said we were going over to the gridiron, and you can probably guess what we're talking about because it's the talk of the town. Now they got a boost because the Ravens signed Odell Beckham Jr. to a one-year deal. Four, you ready for this? $15 million guaranteed up to $18 million. And I got to stop right there because, whoa, I know the Ravens have been accused of not signing wide receivers for Lamar to throw the ball to. And I don't really have a problem with them signing Odell. But was this the market for Odell? Or did the Ravens just grossly overpay? Did they just take a blind shot at the dart at what they thought he was fielding and said, we're going to give you 15 guaranteed up to 18? Because that's a lot of money. There were only three players in the NFL last year, aged 31 or older, that caught more than 400 receiving yards. Are you bringing Odell in to be your number one? 
Because if he's your number one giving you – if he's one of the aberrations and his target mark is 400 yards, we've got a problem. Is he going to be your number two to Bateman? If that's the case, then he's actually probably your number three because Mark Andrews is the number one guy there, especially in the red zone. So is Odell your number three option in the passing game? And you're giving him $15 million a year up to 18? That just seems like wild roster management, wild wild mismanagement from the front office. And I think the Ravens' front office is exceptional, so I don't really love saying this. Of course, I don't really love what's going on with the Lamar situation. But other than that, I think they've done a great job constructing their rosters over the years. But this just seems like way too much. And I still don't know if Lamar is going back. I know he and Odell went to live together. I mean, if you're in Miami, what else are you going to do when you're rich and famous, right? I've been to live once. I'm not rich and famous. I would go back if I was regularly, so can't blame them for going. But I, I, I still don't understand if what the Ravens are doing with Lamar, and I don't understand what Lamar is doing with the Ravens. I don't. The relationship seems fractured to me. I know signing Odell is this shiny new toy, or maybe it's a dull toy. No offense to Odell, but he's had two ACL reconstructions in the past few years. His last healthy year, he caught seventy-three passes for a thousand and thirty-five yards and four touchdowns. But that was in two thousand nineteen. What's he going to give you going into 2024? I just, I, I, I don't like it. I like Odell. I want him to succeed. I think he's been hard done by all these problems that he's run into, you know, with the, with the style clash and everything that was going on with Baker and his father's tweeting about the team when he's on the Browns, obviously. And then he's got the injuries. Looks like he might win Super Bowl MVP. Has those two catches for 40-something yards and a touchdown in the first quarter of the Super Bowl. And then, bam, torn ACL again. Feel bad for him. But the expectations that come with this contract and where he's at in his career, I just don't think he's going to be able to live up to it, which is really sad because I wanted the best for him. MLB Mitchell. Guys, you're not going to hear me talk about baseball an awful lot. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. I would rather talk about basketball. I would rather talk about football. I would rather talk about soccer, World Cup, European soccer, Champions League. Not the MLS. Sorry. Don't get me into that. And I'm from America, obviously. But no, no. We're talking about the good stuff. I would rather talk about track and field. I would rather talk about the Olympics. But, guys, here it is. We're going to talk some baseball. Because there's a lot of fun and exciting stuff going on in the major league. The Tampa Bay Rays are 9-0 and to start the season. And they have a run differential of plus 57. Now, do the math yourself. You can figure out how much that means they're outscoring opponents per game. But this is a team that has the third lowest payroll in the league. So talking about organizational success, like I just was with the Ravens, the Rays, they've been really good the past couple of years, really good. And now they're flawless. They're undefeated. Now they haven't played the toughest competition so far. They played the Nationals. They played the Tigers. They played the Athletics. What did we really learn from that? I mean, it's hard to go 9-0 in baseball because everything is so day-to-day. The 162-game season gives you a big sample size so you can average things out. But every day-to-day scenario feels so different just because there's so many games. But it's hard to go 9-0, so credit to them. They're playing the Boston Red Sox in a series. That series starts the night that I am recording this Monday. So we're going to learn more about that them in that series because the Red Sox are hitting the hell out of the ball, even if they've been quiet the last couple of outings. Randy Rosarena has been great for this team, but Wander Franco is the talk of the town. He's hitting 351 at the plate, and he's got four home runs in those nine games. Now, if he keeps that up, boy, are they really going to be in business because Wander Franco has been this 
amazing, highly touted, highly talented prospect before he even stepped on, onto a major league diamond. But especially when he got into the league, he's been putting everybody on notice. But he's adding that power to his game that was the missing element. We saw glimpses of it last year. Now, granted, this guy is only 22 years old. He still doesn't really have his man body, especially not compared to these other 20, 30, even 40-year-olds that he's facing. But as he gets older, as he keeps being in the weight room, as he gets stronger, if he can keep hitting the ball consistently like he is and he adds that power element to his game, this is a perennial MVP candidate. He already is. But you might as well just give him the award if he's able to hit 40, 50 home runs every year. Drew Rasmussen, Shane McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, they have been lights out on the mound. Two of them have not given up an earned run, and the three of them combined have an ERA of .47. It's hard to lose games when your starting pitchers, your three starting pitchers are giving you that. Um, like I said, they started the series with the Sox, didn't check to see who's on the mounds. That's my bad. But we're going to learn more about the race. The AL East and the National League West. I was just talking about how the Rays have that run differential. The Sox have been hitting the ball. The entire American League East and the entire National League West, they've all been hitting the ball very well. They've got 277 and 248 runs combined between the division or across the division, respectively. The next closest of any division is 220, and after that, I believe it falls to 203. So you can see how they've separated themselves from the pack. I think these are the two strongest overall divisions in baseball, and especially you can see that with the offensive output that's been coming so far. Do I think that a World Series winner comes from either one of these divisions? Again, that's the American League East and the National League West. So we're looking at the Padres. We're looking at the Dodgers. We're looking at the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Sox, the Ravens. I'm, I'm, I'm 20 minutes south of D.C. I got to throw the Ravens. Gosh, the Orioles. Sorry, wrong Baltimore team. I'm 20 minutes south of D.C., so I got to throw the O's in there. Do I think it's safe if we're lining everything up? If I'm if this is Mitchell's sports book and I'm taking bets on does the World Series winner come from the AL East, the National League West, or the field? So you've got two options there. I think that's a pretty even line. I think you could be looking at maybe minus 120 plus 100 on either side. It's obviously way too early to tell. Something specifically related to the Padres is they're they're starting to put it together. They had a bit of a slow start, but hey, it's a long offseason and spring training. People aren't really at their best. The World Baseball Classic, yada, yada, yada. But they're putting it together, and Juan Soto still isn't even really hitting the ball. He can't buy one at the plate. So as he starts to find his footing in the box, he's going to get a lot better, and this team's going to get a lot better. But I still think it's too early to tell. Now, some of the obvious exceptions you're looking at from the other side, the Atlanta Braves the Houston Astros, and because of those two powerhouses and just the collective talent of the rest of the league, if I'm placing that bet personally, I'm going with the other, so outside of the American League East slash the National League West. But I think that's an interesting situation to monitor. I think that's a cool bet. I'm going to actually keep that in my head. And if you guys want to check out Ride the Line, co-hosted by myself and Tanner Kern, who handles social media content for DraftKings. He's a contributor at Forbes Betting. He does TV work for VSIN. Um, he's a very intelligent guy. We had co-host a podcast, Ride the Line by WSN. You can find it on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. We record tomorrow, so I'm going to bring that up to him. And you guys should stay tuned to see what his reaction to it is. And the last baseball story that I want to talk about 
The Milwaukee Brewers are continuing. I don't know if it's fair to call a come up because they've been a good team in the last few years. They've been a very good team. Granted, they don't play in the toughest division in the Central, but they're still a good team. And this, it looks like they might be even better this year. Now, that, you might think that's a little strange because they got rid of some of the vets and they brought in those young guys. But they've really galvanized them. They've brought a new team, a new spirit, a new swagger to the team. And it's something that's translating onto the diamond. You can feel it with the cheesehead celebrations and how just loud and raucous, but in a good way that they are. Um, this, they have a starting pitching. The starting pitching rotation, by the way, it's impossible to be bad when this is your starting four pitchers. Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns, Eric Lauer. Like that team is destined to be good. But now you're getting that energy again inside of the box and on offense and on defense too. You're, get, you're putting that all together and it's really exciting to see it. I think this team, if they keep playing at this rate and they also improve at the rate I'm expecting them to because of those young guys and the guys they can bring off, off of the bench as well, I think that they can become even better, and I think that they're one of those teams. I was talking about the Braves and the Astros being the outliers and the and the which one you got bet, but the Brewer the Brewers can absolutely be a problem for some of these teams too. You know, again, we're going to keep it in the National League, so we talk about the Dodgers or the Padres. If they run into the Brewers, could it be a problem for them? They've got such strong pitching, and they've also got this youthful energy about them that yeah, I think it could. Now that's so many months away. Injuries can happen. Players can get, can go through slumps or they can get on hot streaks. We just got to see what happens. But something to be looking at as we're going ahead. And, guys, we are just about at the 30-minute timestamp, which means we're about to wrap this thing up. Now, before we go, first thing I want you to do, hit the subscribe button. Stay tuned for all of the content that's coming out. Obviously, we've got the weekly shows. I'm uploading segments from the shows in case you missed some. And, you know, if you're looking back on this a couple of days after it's come out and you missed the show, but you want to hear about the best talking points, you want to get some betting picks maybe, you want to hear some of the latest sports news, go ahead and listen to that segment. And then I'm also going to be uploading shorts on YouTube. So funny moments from the show, insightful moments from the show, you'll be able to access those. And drop a comment. Let me know what you're going to be watching over these coming days. We've got a lot going on in the world of sports. And let me know where you are doing it. I want to roll call. I want to find out where we are all at. Now, like I told you guys, 20 minutes south of D.C. right here. Anybody in the area, hit me up. Anybody listening across the country in another country and another continent, that would be awesome. Let me know. I want to be worldwide. So, again, just let me know where you're all at. Thank you all so much for tuning in to episode number 11 of The Sitch with Grant Mitchell. We kept it snappy right on that 30-minute timestamp, but we talked about a lot. Really appreciate you guys tuning in, just as always. And I look forward to seeing you on the next show. But for now, go out, have a great day, be the best version of yourselves, and I will talk to you soon.